0: Welcome back to a bit of fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I'm glad you're here. So in this first season, I've challenged myself to watch 48 animated Disney movies over the course of the summer, and I'm bringing you along for the ride. We started at the beginning of the Disney timeline for episode one. You know, a very good place to start. Don't worry. I'm not Julie Andrews. I am not going to sing to you. That would be good for no one's ears. So we started with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and then jumped ahead on the Disney timeline to the 2005 feature Chicken Little. I put a poll on Instagram this past weekend to determine what we'd like to talk about today. It was Peter Pan versus Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and the overwhelming result was for the boy stuck in perpetual childhood. So Peter Pan it is. And if you have a strong opinion on which movie I should discuss in a future episode, let me know. This can totally be a conversation. First, an overly simplified and somewhat cynical summary of Disney's animated feature, Peter Pan. What, are you asking yourselves? No story? No interlude? No reminiscence? Well, I am going to reserve my musings until after we explore the movie this time, because it kind of goes along with the life lessons thing, so it's coming. Don't worry. But anyway, back to that summary. A young boy from a seemingly imaginary land kidnaps three small children and flies them to Neverland with a psychotic pixie to fight pirates and flirt with mermaids. The imaginary land and perpetual childhood isn't all it's cracked up to be, and the three children demand to return home. Was that too cynical? Let's see if we can improve things just a little bit with the list. But before we kick things off with the list, a quick acknowledgement that there is a lot wrong with the portrayal of the Native tribe in the film. It is insensitive and inappropriate and well, it's just wrong, and I won't be diving into those specifics for this particular list. But I did want to, to acknowledge that, and I'll be honest, this rewatch was kind of hard to watch. I'm personally glad that the Disney that Disney hasn't pulled it from the lineup, though they did add the disclaimer, which I think um, is really important to do. It starts that dialogue that I think is really important because I believe in open and honest dialogue that creates an opportunity to learn from mistakes. We cannot move forward if we don't acknowledge the past, not to explain it away. You can't do that. What's wrong is wrong, but to own it and to grow. and I, I really think um, and hope that this is a you know that this is happening behind the scenes at Disney, and the disclaimer offered isn't just a hollow statement. But with that being said, let's explore some of my other issues with the movie, along with some things I really enjoyed, kind of enjoyed, mostly enjoyed. <laughs> Number one, first impressions are not kind to George Darling. My very first thought during the rewatch was how in the world he managed to convince the sweet and demure Mrs. Darling to marry him. He's loud, he's rude, he's brash, he's angry. We can maybe chalk it up to a grouchy moment at the end of a very bad day, but whoo, bad way to set the scene The thing is, he gives off a vibe that this isn't an out-of-the-ordinary occurrence. Case in point, when he nearly steps on Nana for the second time and falls to the ground with an impressive yet comedic kind of crash, the entire family runs to check on the dog. Like, dad is at it again, let's go check on the one that cares for us. Number two. When or where did Wendy, first hear the tales of Peter Pan. If the rest of the movie isn't a fever dream, that that means that Peter is out there living his own conceited best life in Neverland, right? Which is a long way away. Second star to the right and straight on till morning. So how did news of his adventures reach London? Are we to believe that there are books written about his escapades? Who is he flying to Earth to tell then? And how long can he stay on Earth before... The growing old kicks in and a side note we're pretending that spielberg's hook doesn't exist in this scenario even though i love it but for right now it is not a part of this conversation number three who is the wizard that trained nana and taught her to read she is one impressive dog cleans up after the children puts blocks in alphabetical order and dispenses correct doses of medicine Most impressively, these two stodgy parents trust a dog to care for their small children in their absence. I mean, as talented as this canine is, that seems like horrible parenting. I also found myself wondering, who put the bonnet on her? Was it done in jest or specifically to acknowledge her employment as official caretaker? Number four, Wendy seems like the ideal daughter. She's polite, responsible, compassionate, thoughtful, well-spoken, can sew, and helps care for her siblings. Why is George so frustrated with her behavior? He's not wrong, though. I mean, Wendy does seem old enough to have her own room, but it's a room. In the same house, probably just down the hall. Why the intense distaste for having her own space? Couldn't she just hang out in the nursery, play with their brothers, tell her stories, and then walk down the hall to go to bed? Number five. Your responsible, polite, compassionate, thoughtful daughter is telling stories about a boy coming to her room at night and you leave the window unlocked and don't hire a proper babysitter. You go a step further and actually kick out the only other source of protection in the home and tie her up so she can't get to the children if needed. Seriously, bad parenting. Number six, I promise some things I like are coming and I realize this is like the first five minutes of the movie. I apparently, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about how this got kickstarted, but I don't really like Tinkerbell. She is, as previously mentioned, psychotic and jealous and needs anger management counseling. Peter does friend zone her and openly flirts with other girls in her presence, so I kind of understand the surliness, but she needs to have an intimate heart to heart with herself as to whether or not this particular ra- relationship is good for her mental health. But worse is the setting of unhealthy body standards all the way back in 1953. Tinkerbell has like a pin-up figure, well-proportioned, curvy, and she struts around like a starlet and the confidence is fine. You go, girl. Until they have her walk across the hand mirror and she becomes alarmed at the size of her hips, which they then play up to make her too curviness, get unable to get through the droid hole. Even the perfect little figure is wrong. Disney is finally, yet barely, creating real girls that better mirror reality and cultural norms, but they have such a long way to go on this front. Number seven, an interesting thing about Tinkerbell, and really the whole movie, is the exploration of a variety of emotions. I mean, Tink alone exhibits sadness, fear, and jealousy lots of jealousy and rage there's also you know hurt worry restlessness happiness excitement insecurity frustration amazement kids are able to really take a journey through the emotions with the characters not as creatively done as you know inside out but it's still pretty interesting that the way they they fed all of those in with all of those characters number eight After this latest rewatch, I have determined that my favorite character is the crocodile. (laughs) He is single-minded. He's hilarious, and he is vengeful. Not to be crude, but he is—is he just obsessed with the taste of hook in particular? I mean, he goes after no one else. Or is he just determined to finish the deed? I don't know. I really like the way his eyes move around through the water and he can move them independently. And of course, the look of just abject horror on Hook's face when he realizes that the crocodile's nearby just cracked me up. Number nine. Do we know how old Peter is supposed to be? I mean, for such a young boy who doesn't really act like a boy. I mean, the lost boys act like a boy. Peter doesn't. He is certainly a flirt. I mean, he is leaving broken hearts all over the island and London now. And just Peter in general, he's conceited, cocky, rude, bossy, and really dismissive. And I just kind of fail to see the appeal and doubt his actual leadership abilities. You know what? i've got a long list here so we're just gonna stop at nine for this episode and just do a rapid fire thing of things that i found interesting or curious or annoying are you ready here we go when the crew is first flying to neverland they land on big ben and inadvertently change the time how long do you think it took someone to notice or was this like a giant gaslighting situation where the entire nation suddenly believed their personal clocks and watches were wrong Why does Peter Pan sometimes talk in rhyme? I mean, I think that's kind of awesome. I would like to do that from time to time. But it's just interesting that all of a sudden he's breaking out into rhyme. At Hangman's Tree, the Lost Boy's lair, Tink, flies through. And it appears that she is flying under a pond. I mean, you can see fish swimming above her. How is the lair not flooded? While I don't fully understand the ecosystem of Neverland, I do really like how there are a lot of animals living together in close quarters that are not usually found together out in nature, specifically like brown bears and monkeys and hippos. They don't often hang. I kind of like that they get to hang in Neverland. Is Peter American? He suspiciously lacks an English accent. And how then does he find his way to London? And more importantly, to the darling house where they just happen to be telling stories about him. Why is John put in the lead during Follow the Leader? He's never been there. How is he supposed to know how to find the tribe? And finally, how often do you think the Lost Boys actually won against Tiger Lily and her tribe? I mean, they reference some back and forth, like, we catch you, we let you go, you catch us, you let us go. But these are kids in their pajamas. How are they ever coming out on top? And yet. Despite some of my negative opinions, I am a sucker for stories where individuals end up in imaginary lands. Wonderland, Oz, Narnia. I love the idea that somewhere just beyond our imagination is a land full of wonder and adventure. A little dangerous, but filled with exciting and interesting creatures and people. I probably like the idea of visiting one of these magical lands because the heroes always get to return home. It's temporary. After sitting with this movie for a while after the rewatch, I I realized I have a love-hate relationship with the story of Peter Pan in general. The idea that growing up means you're going to lose your childlike wonder has just never really set well with me. I mean, to some extent, I know this is true. Life experience and the requirements of pay bills does force you to take on responsibilities that keep you away from endless hours of play and innocence. And yet I grew up with a father who balanced it all pretty well. I mean, the adulting and the frolicking play. By frolicking play, I do literally mean frolicking sometimes. His childlike enthusiasm is now on full display since we have grandbabies in the family. I mean, he's just not one to sit and watch. He does. He climbs the jungle gym. He initiates the mischief. He jumps in the puddles. And I love that about him. I realized I'm happiest when I keep a firm grip on my own childlike wonder. You know, the goofy, the nonsensical, the fun. It's part of who I am. I like to twirl in wide open spaces and I too like to climb the jungle gym. It does, however, often leave me wondering when I'll start to feel like an adult. I mean, I do a lot of adulting things that I don't quite feel qualified to do. I own a home i care for animals i mean i've kept them alive for 11 plus years which for me is impressive because i tend to kill things i mean not live things but plants but i'm learning to care for plants i'm left alone with small children from time to time i manage other adults at work but sometimes adult emily feels like a fraud like i've pulled the wool over many a people's eyes when do you start feeling like an adult like you've got it all together Or is it better to never feel that way? Is that the balance, the ability to do without really feeling like you know how to do so that it never really gets too serious? We all have to grow up one day, I know that, but who is to say that means having to be an actual adult? I think I'll just hold on to my childlike innocence for a while longer. It does make a lot of sense for Disney to tackle this particular tale, though. I mean, the animated feature of Peter Pan um, came out in February 1953. Just a little over two years later, Disneyland opens its doors. I mean, it's a place for kids and adults alike, a place to seize childlike wonder, to believe in magic. And I don't care how old you are. When you walk down Main Street at Disneyland or Disney World and you see the castle, you're seven again. Whenever I visit Disney, there is a permanent smile plastered on my face. I'm genuinely over the moon to meet the characters, and I cry during the fireworks every single time. All of the adulting worries are for another day. I found this really nice quote from Walt Disney that said, To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past, and here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. Few other cool things about the movie. I mean, George Darling and Captain Hook are voiced by the same actor. A perfect connection between the two characters who are, in, sin, in a sense, at war against Peter Pan. Just an excellent element to the storytelling. And just because I'm a Hoosier, the actor who voiced me is also the voice of Bull in Lady and the Tramp, King Hubert in Sleeping Beauty, the cartoon dog Droopy, and the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. He was from Terre Haute, Indiana. That's kind of cool. Speaking of Alice in Wonderland, it also got marked off the list this past week, along with one of my all-time favorites, Robin Hood. There's just something so charming about the outlaw of a fox, and I really love Roger Miller as Alan Dale and his minstrel songs. Oodalali! I've decided I'm going to just shout Oodalali in enthusiasm from now on. How is that not a thing? Anyway, thanks for joining me today. I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at @gnomegirlm, no i n girl, at gnomegirlm, and on Facebook as at a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today. I'll see you next time.